Welcome to Crafting a Revolution, the podcast. My name is Katie Freeman, and I'm your host. Every week, I bring you the stories of makers and artists, designers of all kinds from all over the world, those that identify as female, non-binary, or transgender. Today's guest is Elizabeth Weber. Elizabeth was born and raised in Tennessee and showed great promise in both the arts and mathematics. She first specialized in engineering, earning an MS in civil engineering from the University of Tennessee at Knoxville and working in several engineering jobs. In 2012, she moved to Seattle, Washington, and in 2015, decided to nurture her artistic side through woodworking. Her first creations included several pieces of furniture in the arts and crafts style, but she eventually turned to smaller objects and now specializes in bowls, spoons, and boxes. Her skills range from natural finish and simple forms to highly carved and painted forms that emulate natural motifs. She is the AAW's 2023 Pop Artist Showcase recipient and teaches wood turning at the Pratt Fine Arts Center in Seattle, Washington, and the John C. Campbell Folk School in Brasstown, North Carolina. She serves as program director and women in turning liaison for the Seattle Wood Turners Club. Now, I have followed uh, Elizabeth uh, on Instagram for quite some time, and I absolutely love the the textures and colors that she puts into all of her pieces, and um, it was really a great honor to get to talk with her and learn more about her process and how she got started and everything. So great episode here for you today. Before hopping into my conversation with Elizabeth, though, I want to give a big shout out and thanks to the patrons over on Patreon. Those of you who are kind of uh, have become my ride or die sticking with me uh, through this year of changes and a little less frequent uh, episodes being posted. So I think all of you uh, who continue to help support the podcast. So thank you so much. Lee at Lee Runyon, Annette 513 Woodworks, Katie Thompson, Women of Woodworking, Christy uh, of Twisted Twine Woodworking, Jeremy Spies, Sammy Lee, Go Sammy Lee, Rachel, Moody Makes, Laura, Oakley Soap Company, Brandy, Studio Obey, Ellen, Little Bear Furniture, and Ethan Carter, Ethan Carter Designs. Thank you all so very much, truly. Um, could not continue to do this without your support. All right, so with that, let's go on and head on into my conversation with Elizabeth Weber. I always like to start by asking my guests to do do that for me. I am Elizabeth Weber, and I live in Seattle, Washington. I'm a woodturner, and I'm here with my husband and my two cats, Riker and Dax. And they're named after Star Trek characters. So <laughs> fantastic. Um, and uh, what are your pronouns? She and her. Awesome. Thank you. Um, I feel like we've been like following each other on social media for like a long time. Yeah, it um, feels like forever. 
like a power carver. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I definitely have all kinds of questions about your work. But before getting to that, I want to I want to <laughs> know, like, the bigger story of Elizabeth from like baby oh. Elizabeth to like, now. <laughs> like okay. what's, where were you born? What was, what's been the journey to, to this point? Well, I do live in Seattle, but I'm not originally from Seattle. I grew up in a small city in Tennessee called Jackson. And so you can see, I've made a big move out West and I lived in Tennessee for most of my life. And I have two parents who are history professors, and they actually met doing research on documents in at the National Archives in Paris, France. My mom's French, and then my dad, they got married in France, and then they came back over. My mom didn't speak English, but she learned it, and she speaks it pretty well. So growing up, you know, there was a lot of French culture in my house. And with two parents who are history professors, there was a lot of emphasis on understanding the past and how that affects our present and the future. In growing up, we went to museums, art shows, historical sites. And so it was very different from a lot of people that I knew as a child. I also have two brothers. And so whatever they were getting into, I wanted to get into, whether it was playing baseball or climbing trees, or if they went fishing, I wanted to go fishing. And so you could say I was a tomboy growing up and I was very much into baseball, which translated to me playing softball. And so I still watch softball on TV. And a lot of people will say, you're the only person I know who actually enjoys watching softball on TV. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> I still, I still watch it. And so when I was in high school, I had to decide on a major to go to college because I was going to go to college and I loved math and I loved art and I knew as an artist it's very difficult to make a living and so I said okay how can I merge these two passions and I said well why don't I build bridges bridges are awesome so I chose civil engineering and I went to the University of Tennessee at Knoxville to study engineering and I took some structural engineering classes and they were the worst classes I've ever had in my life. They were super rigid and you had to follow all of these sets of equations. And I said, this is not for me. I still wanted to do the civil engineering. So I chose a different path doing site development because it felt more freeing because you could actually take land and develop it. So you had a little bit more liberties in what you could do. So I chose that path. I graduated from UT in 2007. I went to work in Knoxville for a couple of years. Then the recession hit in 2008. And at the end of 2008, I lost my job, which is unfortunate, but it ended up leading me to graduate school back at UT Knoxville. And I was there for two years and those were some of the best years of my life. And I made some really great friends that I'm still friends with. So I wouldn't take that back for anything. And so I got my graduate degree and then I landed a job in Seattle, Washington, and my husband had a job out here too. So we ended up taking everything from Tennessee and moving it out West. And we've been here for a long time. <laughs> and it's, it's taken a while to get settled here, but you know, it's a great environment, a beautiful place. People are friendly. So I think we call this home now. <laughs> Okay. And what was your master's in? Was it in art or um, 
engineering still. It was still in engineering. So it was civil engineering with an emphasis in water resources. And I was actually a graduate teaching assistant for incoming engineers. And so I was teaching freshmen physics for level two. And so that was my first taste of teaching. And because my parents were professors, I saw how hard they worked. And I said, I'm never going to my life ever. And then I was, I got into that teaching assistant position and I thought, wow, this is amazing. These students are having these aha moments. And I was like, no wonder my parents love teaching, but I'm still not going to do that. So yeah. I, I actually went back into engineering, the engineering field when we moved out to Seattle. And at the time, Seattle was the fastest growing city in the United States. And so it was very busy and it was an energetic time to be in the field of engineering. So it was, yeah. And I did engineering for a while and then I shifted over into wood, woodworking gradually. <laughs> yeah. So definitely tell me, tell me more about that. Like, how'd you, I guess, how'd you find woodworking and like, how'd you, you know, start getting into kind of woodworking business? So I started woodworking around 2015. I went through a pretty difficult time in my life. And so I was trying to find a way to channel my energies in a more constructive way. And I saw a friend of mine, she bought a table saw and started making all of these wall art pieces. And I thought she bought a table saw and she took a woodworking class. I was like, maybe, maybe I could do that too. And we'd bought a house. It was a fixer upper. So we had a contractor table saw. My husband was doing all the work. I was just, you know, pointing it like, Hey, I like this, this, this. And I said, what if, what if he shows me how to start making cuts on the table saw? And so I, he showed me some cuts. And so then I started to play around with it. And I said, I should probably take a class because power tools can be very dangerous. And so I signed up for beginning woodworking class. We built a simple toolbox. And then I found myself wanting more I signed up for a women's woodworking class at a local community college where we got to play around with more power tools and we built a step stool and I said, I want more. <laughs> and so I kept looking for more classes, signing up for more classes and eventually shifted into making furniture pieces, which I thought was great because when we first moved to Seattle, we bought, well, we weren't, yeah, we were buying used Ikea furniture off of Craigslist because graduate students fresh out of yep. college yep. <laughs> uh, when we bought our house it was like oh well we should probably upgrade and get nicer stuff and so my husband was encouraging me like yeah build furniture for the house and so that prompted the furniture building and I did that for a while and I was also reading a lot of books and magazines and looking at plans and then I began to notice that some of these plans had turned components to them and I was like I don't even know how to use a lathe so maybe I should learn how to do this and I Googled classes and I found a bowl turning class. I thought if I can turn a bowl, I can turn a spindle. They're two very different types of turning. Yes, they are. <laughs> but I figured, I was like, I, you know, this is a great way to justify the class right. to my husband. And for good measure, I signed him up too. So we took this class together. And then I took another turning class and another. And finally, an instructor said to me, he said, if you're taking all of these classes, why aren't you practicing what you're learning? And I thought, okay, he has a good point. I'll try to do this on my own. And I tend to be very cautious when it comes to doing something new. 
So the first time I stepped up to the lathe and there was nobody else around me, I was like, oh my God, what's going to happen? Is it going to explode on me? <laughs> I was absolutely terrified. But then as I did it more, I proved to myself, I can actually do this on my own. And then I think it was all downhill from there. If you want to say downhill from there, <laughs> I couldn't stop. And here I am now and I wouldn't change anything. Now, as for the business side, you asked about that. I had a restaurant order for 50 bowls and 75 platters. And in order to do business with the restaurant, I had to get a business license. And so I was like, okay, we're going to make this official. <laughs> so that's where it all started. I was like, okay, now we're going to take the step into the next stage of my wood turning. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And now is this like, that is this your full-time or are you still also doing engineering? I have stepped away from engineering. It still influences my work, but I am doing the wood turning and woodworking stuff full time. So awesome. Living the dream. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm very fortunate. Yes. <laughs> um. Yeah, you definitely like, I feel like as a woodworker, people are are either turners or they're not like you either like get the bug after that first like yeah, yeah. after that first uh class or like you don't you know yeah. i i don't i don't think people fall kind of like in the middle yeah. um and i definitely can tell just from how you told the story and and being excited about it that you got the bug um i took like when i did some woodworking at a community college in California I took one turning class yeah and I I did enjoy it like I definitely I still think about that I think to me I think what attracts people sometimes is that you can walk away with a finished piece in a matter of hours right. um, whereas like as you know you built furniture too like that doesn't happen like yeah. it doesn't just <laughs> It takes weeks and weeks and then yeah. you're like, did yeah. I mess something up? Did I compound yeah. an error? And then you find out as you're putting it together. And it's like, no. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, uh, I think that's definitely a draw to turning. And like, honestly, one of the reasons I started power carving is because I liked curves that you can get from turning that you don't, you know, that are harder to get. Uh, other ways in woodworking but what I uh, but I didn't have a lathe at the time and then also as I considered like well maybe I should get one and and try this out like what has bugged me about turning is like the the symmetry about it and I'm not a symmetrical person like I want to be asymmetrical well <laughs> you know this that's a good point because a lot of people will think round you know perfectly yeah. round the first class that I took in wood turning was taught by a guy named Tom Henshide and he is a finishing expert and I walked into his class and these pieces were wonky they were asymmetrical uh -huh. they had color and I was like what what is this what what did I sign up for and I pick it up and I'm like looking at one of these warped pieces and I said how did you turn this and then he goes well I had to do this and this and this and this 
he's yeah. doing a little dance and I was like what <laughs> I was like get me out of here <laughs> and what I found out is that he will take green pieces of wood so green wood freshly harvested yeah. from the tree he will turn that and then he'll let it move and then all of a sudden it's not this perfectly round piece and mm -hmm. again there's that asymmetry so and I think it looks more organic if it's not so perfectly yeah. round and so I have a tendency to take those pieces fresh from the trees, turn them and then let them dry. And then I'll come back and I may carve on the surface and then play around with some of that asymmetry that's developed. But I'm like you, I'm just like, I like asymmetry. I like things that aren't perfect. This nature's not perfect. I'm not perfect. Like, right. why would I expect my work? Well, yes. <laughs> my work to be perfect. Yeah. I mean, and that's honestly like the, I'm glad you brought up the greenwood factor. Cause yeah, you totally could I mean, it's still so malleable at that point, except yeah. for the, you know, risks, I guess you run of cracking and, and stuff like that. But like I've, people have asked me about carving green wood and I've only done a few things and they were just like silly projects. They weren't anything, you know, serious. And I think it would be fun to explore more because I think you could do more of that too, mm -hmm. like just use the drying process as a design element to get you know it to do what you want it to do type of thing um but it also like at least with carving and maybe you find this when you do texture too like it's like fuzzy it's hard like it comes off fuzzy when it's green versus um you know like a nice just dry like sawdust type thing and so right. a lot of times my tools will get almost like gummed up depending on the the type of wood it is. Yeah, I run into that issue too with, I've tried carving on green wood pieces that I've just turned and it gums up the burrs. And so I'm like, that's not good because I have to continue using these for a long time. And so what I've done now is I will finish turn a piece while it's green and I'll let it dry fully. And then I'll come back and start carving it so it doesn't gum up the pieces and it's almost like spoon carving where spoon carving will take freshly green wood because it's a lot easier to remove any excess material and then we'll let it dry. And with spoons, they're smaller. It takes a few days before they're fully dry. Then we'll come back and do finishing cuts and that leaves a nice quality surface and the spoon is done moving so you can finish it and be done with it similar to bowls so I've yeah I've run into that issue with with green wood and I get asked all the time do you do you carve on green wood and I'm like no I wait until that piece completely dries before I come back and start working on it otherwise I run big issues <laughs> yeah yeah definitely with the burrs I mean I do have I have some carving tools that are more like a you know it's gonna act more like a chisel and right. in that case, like it's not gumming anything. And and in those cases too, it's like, man, this is cutting like butter. I mean, cutting green wood compared to well, dry wood. <laughs> it's it's like, <laughs> I can't stop. Next thing you know, you have a toothpick. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how'd you get into the, the texturing? So I was... So again, going back to Tom Henshide's class, and he has all these finishes and textures. I mean, that piqued my curiosity, but I didn't really explore it initially. A lot of what I was doing was very round and brown and, you know, flat. And then the pandemic hit. And 
when the pandemic hit, I had been renting space with a lathe and tools. And when things shut down, I suddenly lost access to those lathe and those tools. <clears throat> and so I'm sitting at home carving spoons because I'm thinking, okay, I don't need a lot of tools to carve spoons. And then the spoon pile starts to stack up. And I said, okay, I can't keep carving spoons because this is just too much. Yeah. And around that, yeah, <laughs> around that time, I was watching video, a video series put on by the American Association of Woodturners. And it had to do, I think the AUW presents. And they were interviewing various artists on different topics. And there was this woman who came on and she starts talking about different things and everything she's saying is resonating with me. And I'm like, who is she? So I rewound the video and I saw her name and her name is Meryl Salen. I was like, I got to look her up. I looked her up, the textures and the colors. And just, I was blown away. And suddenly I thought, I've got to figure out how to make this work on my pieces. And I had a pile of unfinished bowls sitting in a corner and so I looked at the spoons and I looked at the bowls and I went, mm, okay, we're going to go work on these bowls. And so then I picked up some carving gouges I'd gotten from one of my dad's friends back in Tennessee. And I just started playing around with what they would do on the surface of, of these bowls that I had. And it eventually went from just playing around with carving, you know, just leaving the wood brown and then carving the textures. Let me see if I can start adding some color and I've always been drawn to color. And suddenly I had a way to start adding it to the work I was creating. And so it all started with this video series and Meryl Salen. And then my mentor suggested that I also look at a couple of other carvers. One of them is an Irish carver named Liam Flynn. And he does these beautiful forms, simple textures, really beautiful work. And another one was Helga Winter, and she would finish turn pieces super thin and they would just move so beautifully and they were so organic and she'd put color on these surfaces that were bright and bold and I just fell in love with her work and she did something recently with the AEW Women in Turning Presents where she said even though I'm obscuring the wood with all of these colors at its essence it's still wood and I was like oh yes Yes, that's exactly what I'm thinking, you know, because a lot of people are like, why would you ever paint wood? I'm like, it's still wood. It's <laughs> right? still wood, yes. <laughs> so a lot of my influence with the colors and the textures comes from various people. And you can look at more turners too, like Betty Scarpino and Andy Wolf and um, trying to think of some others, Melissa Angler, Dixie Biggs, just to name some. I mean, they're mm -hmm. just amazing work and I'm looking at this and it's very inspiring yeah you know I didn't start doing the texture bit until um I watched um it was through Instagram like a few like Cecilia um that I follow um, oh the wood shop she's uh, the shop wood designs and then yes. um I think she's in California. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. So um watching her when she was adding textures, that's really where I was like, oh, I need to get some burrs and just like really play with this. And I know like I haven't even have not even scratched this, you know, texture work. Um, which I think like there probably is no limit. Like I think the oh yeah. Like there are so many possibilities, so many different directions that you could take with it. It's just, 
I'm like, I think I've barely scratched the surface too. Yeah. Like, yeah. and how does my brain hold, you know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Up here. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so it's like, but I've also, I mean, like when I saw your work, definitely the texture and the colors is, is you know, what drew me in. Because mm -hmm. also I like to do colors. Um, we vary in that I tend to gravitate towards dye and you gravitate towards paint oh. so I just kind of am curious if you've ever played with dyes at all I have played with dyes and then I took some classes where they said well dyes aren't light fast and then they would pick up a piece that was maybe mm -hmm. tangled and said it's faded and I went it's like oh god okay I'll do paint I'll do paint and so what I'll do now instead of doing the dyes is I will take an acrylic paint and then use an airbrush medium and then just kind of water it down some and then use that to spray on surfaces that I'm working on if I'm using an airbrush otherwise I will just paint directly on the surface so it I was playing around with dyes initially because I thought these colors are really bright and bold and I love them and then I heard from several people that don't do the dye thing and I went okay <laughs> yeah there's definitely there's yeah. definitely thing like if you're if you're going to do the dye thing, the color fast thing definitely matters. Right. Um, can de be dependent on the wood species. Some are more color fast than others, and then also like, yeah, you have there's a lot of prep work you have to do in order to keep that color you know as bright. Like I dyed a piece and I sent it to a gallery, and I didn't say anything to them and they had placed it in the window oh no um, <laughs> and and it was there maybe you know a month max and I went to go pick you know kind of rotate out pieces at this gallery and she hands me the bowl and I'm just like oh my god <laughs> it was I was so sad <laughs> she's so sad because it was I mean, it had been a bright blue bowl and it was gray. It was like completely gray. And I was just like, okay. That's, oh my God, that's frustrating. Like you yeah. all the way into that and then just uh, get that. Yep. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> that's so frustrating. I mean, I mean, to be fair though, too, I'm also thinking like, you know, yes, the dye is what faded the most, but I just don't feel like you should really ever put any wood piece in a wood. Oh, like, I agree. like if it's in the window and it's getting exposed to light, it's like, even if you look at houses that are painted yeah. and they're exposed to light, that paint color is going to fade a lot more quickly than if it were in the shade. Right. So yeah. I think regardless, it's going to fade if you put it in direct sunlight. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, there's nothing wrong with using dyes. I just, it, Yep. I took yep. it away from that and using paints. So use, I always encourage people, use what you have available, what you're comfortable with. There's no right or wrong way. What I offer up is suggestions. And if yeah. you want to I feed you, feed you. <laughs> what I have to say, take it. If you don't like what I'm saying, that's fine too. You know, piece together yeah. what works. Yeah. yeah. Now with the black, are you burning or is that paint too? paint <laughs> yeah. okay. it's all paint I've tried doing some burning and then with the carving what I've noticed I like crisp edges 
And so I did this on something where I'd done these flutes and I thought, oh, what if I burn it? Will that look good? And I burned it and everything softened up and the flutes yeah. weren't as well defined. And I went, no, <laughs> how much time did I put into this? And then in five minutes, I've ruined it. Yeah. So I typically stay away from the burning, <laughs> the burning. I do love to see when other people do the burning. And I also, my husband is a little reluctant for me to play with fire because he's just like, you're not going to burn this house down. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they don't even remember what I was, because I, de like, I burn things frequently. That's like right. one of my favorite uh, finishes, but I don't even remember what piece I was burning. And like my wife opened the door, you know, my shop's in the garage, opened the door and she's like, be right back. And she comes back out with the fire extinguisher. I'm like, I'm not burning anything down. It's fine. I'm, I'm making art. Come on now. That's true. <laughs> oh my God. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I, I had this mini uh, ammo can forge for making spoon carving tools and my husband said, we're keeping that at a friend's house because if there's a spark that gets loose and then it gets in the siding or something and then the house burns yeah. down, it's on you. And I went, okay, we won't burn anything. I think it's really cool. And I love it when I see people burn stuff, but I'm like, yeah. oh, I actually did burn something on the grill. That's the only place he let me. He's like, put the bowl on the grill and <laughs> then do it there. Yeah. <laughs> That's only... fair. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah, I had a... Uh... I did a, I did a fully carved floor lamp. It's mm -hmm. the biggest, it's still the biggest carving I've done to date. Awesome. Uh, but yeah, it was a lot. But I, I burned, <laughs> I burned like a, a portion of it as part of like the design with it. And it was, uh, Box Elder was the wood. And, mm -hmm. you know, I took a lot of time. It had been the center had was like had been rotten out of the the log so i had taken all the time to carve all of that out but then i'm like burning it and there had been pieces like i didn't know you know I, that i couldn't see or get to and so that was just basically tinder <laughs> i had the whole thing like up on you know my workbench and and it just was like oh and i was like yeah <laughs> <laughs> trying to get that thing it was winter time so i was trying to get it like down and right. out so i could pack it full of snow you know without like burning and it like yeah it broke in half i fixed it but your lamp did the polar plunge or whatever it is where you jump in the cold <laughs> that's awesome i mean i'm sorry yes that happened with your lamp but <laughs> Yeah, I definitely I still always have that in the back of my head when I'm burning so I'm like extra extra careful oh yeah. <laughs> did your lamp turn out okay I always say when things don't quote go quite as planned I always call them design opportunities yeah hey this is a new thing for you to look at don't don't be upset <laughs> that's right yeah no I mean even though even though like it had broke at a like it broke, did a pretty clean break because it broke at a glue line, you know, because I was kind of gluing the top half right. to the bottom half. So it worked out and I was able to fix it. But yeah, it was, it was definitely an adventure with that piece. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah. makes for a good story. Maybe not in the moment you're freaking yeah. out, like, no, but then afterwards you're like, okay, this is a good story. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's a, definitely an example of things not going according to plan, which I mean, I still, to this day, every single project, something doesn't go right. And oh, you know, would, you have to problem solve around it. Right. And I, I try to plan. I do these little story blocks so I can practice out an idea I have in my head because I didn't do that for one piece where I put a lot of time into it and everything went sideways. But I had posted a picture of it on Instagram and my stories and people were like, this is amazing and beautiful. And that when I was, I hadn't checked my stories. And so I was looking at this piece and I said, oh God, well, you know what? Maybe I'll just toss it and pretend it never right, happened. Right my stories I was like oh man now I have to finish this <laughs> so I've learned my lesson don't post your Instagram stories until it's done <laughs> yeah oh I will be fair there have been pieces I have posted that do eventually like on stories that do eventually just disappear like if you do it like if you spread it out long enough like <laughs> just think you know you've forgotten about it or something <laughs> So that's how you do it. Okay, spread it out. Yes. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> no. I try or yeah, and people are like, how's that piece coming along? And I'm like, you still remember? No. <laughs> <Burn trial. laughs> yes. So and you got the big like order of all those bowls and all those plates. Like, I like to ask, and, you know, with stuff like this, how have you found clients? How have clients found you in order to make this become something you can kind of, you know, step into full time? A lot of it has been word of mouth. And so I share a shop space with three other people. And so if they get orders for wood turning projects, they'll come to me immediately and say, hey, are you interested in this? And then depending on where I'm at, I may say yes, or I may say no. And then other people will reach out to me and say, oh, I contacted this person about you and they're coming your way. And so they'll send people my way. So a lot of it has been word of mouth. My family has been incredibly supportive as well with my artistic endeavors. So I'm grateful for them. And Instagram surprisingly has afforded me a lot of opportunities that I would not have thought would come my way at all. And so I'm like, okay, maybe this is helpful for some things. And I do have a website, which I'm notoriously bad at updating, which I should probably work on. That. <laughs> but the website hasn't been super helpful, but it's been mostly word of mouth. And I'm pretty well tied to the woodworking and wood turning community out here in Seattle. And so I know a lot of people and again, it's word of mouth, you know, people will come to me and they'll say, Hey, I have this project. Are you interested? So that's how I'm able to keep this and sustain it going on and on. Yeah. Um, there's definitely a big woodworking community, like in the wet, on the West coast in general, like when right. we lived in Southern California and I took classes there and stuff, like a I, lot of people do woodworking, um, mm -hmm. out there which always surprised me in Southern California because I'm like, we don't have a ton of trees out here. It's not like, you know, abundant material or anything. Um, not like, you know, the Midwest now that I'm I'm back here, but right. Um, yeah, but the Pacific Northwest definitely is kind of a good- Lots of maple trees. 
lots and lots of maples. But yeah, <laughs> you, we actually, there was something in our wood turning newsletter that came out and it said, if you're hurting for wood, you shouldn't be because we're always handing out stuff to our members. And if you're having trouble, contact us, etc. So we're never short on wood. If you see the where I teach at the Pratt Fine Arts Center, we have a log yard and it is full to the brim with logs. And it's like, okay, so yeah, we we have an abundant source of wood. And I've talked to people in Southern California and they've asked me, they said, where can I source wood? And I was like, oh, well, go join your local wood turning club or listen for the sound of chainsaws. And they're like, yeah. oh, I don't think that works for, I, I found it yes. doesn't work well for them. So... <laughs> But yeah, we're we're definitely not hurting for wood up here. Yeah, yeah, down yeah. in the in in so, especially Southern California, they've mm -hmm. got palm trees, which are grass, not trees, and um, yeah, uh, eucalyptus trees, which are also horrible for woodworking. Uh, which is funny because they made their way to Southern California specifically to be used in in a wood form for the railroad way back when and after yeah. they grew and cut them down and they twist like gnarly crap like they realized oh they may be fast growing but they are not good for <laughs> using um, you boing. <laughs> it's like, like, <laughs> it's like oops. Well, that's a little twisty <laughs> yeah so that's the like wood of the area there's just not really you know, there's no hardwoods there. Right. So they actually get more access to um, exotic stuff coming mm -hmm. up from like Mexico than right. there is access to any like American hardwoods. Yeah, I, I had that same issue. I was teaching in Phoenix at the end of October and they were asking, where do I find wood? And I taught a spoon carving class too. And I said, we were carving dry wood. And I said, well, green wood's a lot more forgiving. And they said, well, do you know where I can find green wood? And in Arizona, it's so bone dry that even if you have a green piece of wood, it's going to dry like yeah. that. You have to work super fast, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like different environments. You have to take different yeah. conditions into mind. So yeah, it's wood is a fascinating thing. And you've mentioned the eucalyptus warping and changing shape so quickly. I have a friend who turned a eucalyptus bowl and it moved like crazy, but it had that super organic shape. It was really beautiful. And he said, Well, I had this was a challenging piece to turn because it moved so fast. I had to be quick to turn it. And it's like a larger piece. So I don't yeah. know how fast he was working through it, but he said it moved quickly, even on the lathe. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I was, there was a, like a lagoon that I would go, uh, you know, with trails that I would go walk around frequently, and it was surrounded by eucalyptus trees, and it was constantly, like, they'd have to get cut down, and, because they also don't have a very great root system right. um, either, and so they'd have to constantly be cut down, because, you know, they were threatening something, getting too big, and like you'd see it all over the place and where I live now in the Midwest, if I'm not the only person who will stop for a pile of logs and like load up, you know? So it's like, you just don't see wood lying around because people are always like, oh, we are like, we will take that off your hands type thing. Yep. <laughs> um, but nobody did that for the 
for the eucalyptus logs in Southern California. So it's like, you know, you right. know it's bad. <laughs> when it's not being snagged up, you know. <laughs> That's good to know because I'm in the car with, if my husband's driving and I'm in the car and I see a pile of wood, you'll see me in the window and I'm like, we'll pull over. <laughs> If you can see the car slowly start to speed up. Like, yep. no, stop yeah, I've been told my my wife says no more. Like we're not allowed. I'm not allowed to pull over anymore. Yeah, no, I'm I'm like, but just think of all the money I'm saving us. <laughs> all the projects. Think of my students. Yes. <laughs> think of what too. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, my my shop is full and my around my house is stacked. Like I'm looking out the window. So <laughs> I am not hurting for wood at all. Wood hoarders unite. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think I always like to joke I am, but I've got a pile sitting outside my window too. <laughs> I'm like, I should probably get to that. <laughs> yeah. But that's a good problem to have. I, I would say. <laughs> yes, it is. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so you mentioned teaching at Pratt. Did you have any overlap with um, Anne from Annabelle Trades? Like she was running the wood program there for a bit. Yeah, so I actually, I took a class at Pratt when she was still the wood studio manager. And I was there, I was doing a hand tool bookcase build and she would be in the shop occasionally with her dog at the time abby and mm -hmm. she work the bandsaw and whatnot and so she would be there but then she was when i started taking when i took that class there she was there i think for another six months before kim mcintyre took over the wood studio and Kim is awesome. I don't know if you've had a chance to talk with her, but she's amazing. Like, <laughs> yeah, I've been trying to, I've kind of been trying to stalk and chase. Yeah. <laughs> Kim is amazing. She is very community oriented. And so I actually came in under her to teach when she was the wood studio manager. And she was super supportive, very encouraging. I think she was excited to have a woman instructor at the on the staff, especially the in the wood turning studio, because I think at the time I was probably the only woman. No, no, no. There was another female wood turning instructor there. So there weren't a lot of women in the space. Yeah. So it was exciting because she's like, now I can offer women's wood turning classes, you know, and she was very passionate about that and creating a safe space for people. And again, she's very community oriented and just overall an amazing person. Mm -hmm. Hoping that you'll get a chance to yeah. to talk with her. But yeah, there was there was a little bit of overlap, and I helped to start the Seattle Spoon Club, which started at the Pratt Fine Arts Center. And Anne would come to a couple of the meetings, and she invited me to her farm to carve a spoon one time. So I was out there with Kim and Anne, and we were in her shop carving spoons, which was really cool. And actually, I think accidentally opened the door and one of her donkeys escaped. And I was like, oops, sorry. <laughs> she probably wouldn't remember, but I did. I was like, oh no, I'm already causing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I went, I visited her once at her place at all. So yeah. that was, yeah, it was definitely a fun, fun space. When were you in Seattle? Um, Would have been... I'm going to guess 2018, probably 2018. 
right? It was just a, it was a very quick visit. I had made a, a chair that I designed and I don't, I'm still kind of like, oh God, given where my design skills are now, right. like, that was like a horrible chair. Um, <laughs> I had designed and made a chair for um, Dovetail, mm -hmm. um, the clothing company in right. Portland. Mm -hmm. And this was when they were still Moxie and Moss. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, so I'd done that and I flew it out there um and you know so I was there in Portland and I was like oh I'll and I had been talking with Anne so I just took the train up to Seattle for like literally like I think it was like 24 hours maybe wow. and then <laughs> flew back home so yeah. yeah it was a super quick super quick turnaround but um I'd like to go back out there now yeah. that I am more aware of places like Pratt and places like like I really want to visit Krenov um school oh, yeah. in Northern California so <clears throat> I mean the dream is once I finish my grad school program right is that I would maybe have the opportunity to teach at some of these places that, that just yeah. sound amazing you know like workshop type things but still have the opportunity yeah, so on my list too so yeah Townsend School of Woodworking. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Here as well, if you're looking for schools and places to teach. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you get, do you, so outside of Pratt, do you get to, do you teach at other places as well, like travel around a bit? So I just started doing that. So at the end of October, I went down to Phoenix to teach two workshops. One was on bowl turning and carving, doing embellishings, embellishments, and then also a spoon carving class. And then at the end of March, I'm going to go to the John C. Campbell Folk School in Brasstown, North Carolina, and I'll be teaching two classes. One is on spoon carving and adding textures and colors to your spoons. And then the next week we'll be doing the bowl turning and embellishing and studying form and textures. And so I'll be there for a couple of weeks. And then in June, they have their annual symposium the american association of wood turners has their annual symposium and i'll be traveling out there to give a couple of demonstrations and so i'm it's just now starting and so i'm like oh what other what other schools can i teach at you know this is this is fun yeah yeah, yeah. i definitely like um like i really enjoy teaching really kind of any um i still am always nervous like I'm always nervous I'm missing something like safety wise mm -hmm. and like someone's gonna get hurt on my watch like that is just like always in the back of my head um <laughs> so I'm like my I don't know about you but when I'm in a wood shop my ears are on high alert and I'm just like yeah. listening for something that sounds off and if I hear it I'm like yeah. in the room, like okay where's it coming from where do I go from here like I get it like I, I get nervous yeah. too I don't want anybody to hurt themselves. I know. I also, so like um, the, at school, mm -hmm. I just for, you know, a little extra cash, I just monitor in the wood shop, like one day a week. And every time I'm in there, I have to fight the urge because it's, it's reverse, right? It's like, okay, they come in, we give them all of the information. We can tell them that they should probably try a different way but if they choose to continue to do it unsafely you just let them do it 
And I'm like, that is against every bone, like fiber of my being. Um, you know, it's like, yeah. yeah. And it's like, you, you see somebody, do, we ha I had this issue too. We were in the wood shop and I was there with a friend and she's in woodworking as well. And there was another person using one of the tools and they weren't doing it right. And we went over and we said, well, maybe we suggest you do it this way. And they got very defensive and we said, okay, well, we're, we're going to, we're going to just leave. Yeah. We just want to make sure you're safe. And so it's, you know, panic sets in. And when that happens, you're just like, well, it goes against every moral fiber in my body just to just walk away yeah. from this situation. But, you know, they're, we're trying to help. And then they're just kind of like, eh, no, yeah. I'm offended. Like, I'm sorry. Okay. Well, see you later. <laughs> well, I mean, I can definitely, I'll speak totally for myself and call it out, especially in this new kind of monitor position. Like mm -hmm. if I walk up to a female student, number one, they're right. always like, oh, okay. And they're, right. and like, you know, very open to it. And then also I will see that like, they're just much more at ease with me going up to them versus like the the male supervisor and and he's awesome like I'm not throwing him under the bus at all like he's amazing but yeah. it's just they're like oh you're another female approaching me and like I don't know right. but like if, when I tell a man oh no that it's an instant like offended and like you don't know more than me actually do know more than you but I'll let you think you know what you're talking you paid to teach sometimes but yeah you know i don't know anything i'm talking about. oh oh god yeah so, so you know I, I will say that i've had it happen enough that i'm almost yeah. just like not even wanting to bother when i see a guy not doing something safely because right. i'm like they're not they, they won't take, listen to me like no they won't yeah. <laughs> it, yeah and it's it's difficult being a woman in a male-dominated space like it's, yeah. it's hard to be taken as seriously and I've talked to a lot of other women not just in woodworking but also other male-dominated fields in engineering and it's the stories are just consistently the same it's like they may try to Here's one story in particular. I had a friend and she was trying to pass through this idea with her boss. Three months, she kept nagging him. Well, not nagging, that's the wrong term. Yeah, yeah. Saying, I think we should do it this way. <clears throat> and so then finally, after three months, she sends in one of her male colleagues. He comes out an hour later and says, hey, we're good to go. And she's like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And she was telling me that I said, well, the truth is you're probably going to have to work a lot harder than any other man to get your point across. Yeah. And that's, that's the unfortunate reality. And I see it in every single field. And that's not to say that I haven't come across men who have been incredibly supportive. Right. You know, in the wood turning community with our club, we have a women in turning group and they are just, they're willing to throw all their resources into this because they're like, whatever you need, let us know. We're yeah. going to we're here for you. The Spoon Carving Club, we have a massive amount of women who come to our club meetings, which is amazing because again, woodworking tends to be male dominated, but yeah. you see that it's more of like, it's a, it's a good balance. 
And I get it. I, I understand the frustration. And when, as a female instructor, I've also had women come up to me and say, I'm so glad that there's a woman in your position because that gives me hope moving forward in what I'm doing. I feel more comfortable, like you mentioned. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's difficult yeah, to be. Had, I got pulled in, somebody else did all the legwork of putting it together, but I got pulled in to teach a, a all women's woodworking class. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> it was just refreshing Mm -hmm. to see them not be scared like to not wait until I was done you know a spiel and walk off and then come over quietly and ask me a question but to ask the question like out loud in front of the whole class and not feel like not feel like ashamed to ask yeah. that question or like they were stupid because they were asking that question like yeah. that's where it's like yeah if we have this group like there's not any of this I don't like, and there was like no competitiveness amongst yeah. any of them. Just They were all very willing to help each other and like, you know, work together. And it was just refreshing. I, I noticed that dynamic too. In my women's wood turning classes, it's like the women go to each other's lathes and they're like, what are you working on? Oh, that's yeah. so beautiful. Oh my God. That's so great. And I've got pictures of them like standing together around a lathe discussing different mm -hmm. things, like just comfortable being around each other. And you touched on a good point about, you know, having an all-female environment. When I first started with woodworking, if if I was in a class with a lot of other men and I had a question, I'd hold on to that question until I could get the instructor mm -hmm. privately because I was like, I don't want people to think I'm stupid. And so I would just, yeah, I would wait. <laughs> but in an all-women's class, it's just like, oh, I'm going to ask away. Hey, yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> Yeah, so I I experienced that too. And so I try to make sure that whatever class I'm teaching, that I make sure that they feel comfortable asking me anything at any point in time. Cause I've been there, you know, you've experienced yeah. it too. So yeah. So so that brings up then another question of so I know you've taught the like the women's turning and stuff. Have you taught a class where you've had male students? I have. <laughs> I was, I'm just curious, what's the, has the vibe different? Uh, it's, you know, Seattle, I think is a little bit different because a lot of the men that I get in the class are very feminist oriented. So they're not, there's no pretension coming from them. Although I have experienced it with men who, like I've gone to tool collectors meetings and they tend to be an older generation. I'll walk in there and I've gone with my husband. They'll immediately start talking to him, ignoring yeah. me. And like, oh no, no, that's not for me. It's for her. And they're like, oh. And then they'll start describing all of these different things. And I'm like, well, I, I know about that, but should I interrupt them and say, that's, yeah, I got it. <laughs> so um, in terms of the vibe being different, I think Seattle's unique in that regard that men here are a little bit more open, but you do run into certain instances of mansplaining and it's just like, okay, thanks. <laughs> I have started trying to, because <clears throat> there was definitely a long period where <clears throat> if someone started to mansplain, I was just instantly pissed off and I would just be like, I got it. <laughs> and walk away. Like, no, I'm not fucking around with this anymore. But... <laughs> 
Get out I of my started to try to like look at it a little differently. If they're genuinely, if you can tell where that where they're going is they just want people to be like safe. Right. And I'm like, I will let you mansplain to me because I appreciate it. And sometimes it's good to have like an extra reminder about right. whatever, you know, because we all have bad habits when we're doing shit on our on our own. Uh, <laughs> I will fully admit I do sketchy right. stuff in my own shop that I don't <laughs> teach anybody to do. But um, but then if they're coming at it where it's more like you can tell just by the tone of their voice that it's more like derogatory towards you like assuming you don't know what you're doing then that's when I'll be like no you know I've got this like I'm totally fine right um, yeah I still haven't I you know I have to pick my battles at school as a student more than I necessarily would um, if, I, if I wasn't a student right now but um yeah I had a, I had an instance uh with a supervisor type person last semester trying to change out a blade on a angle grinder and somebody had like totally screwed it on too tight none wow. of the wrenches were fitting and I couldn't right. get this thing off and yeah. so I went and I was like do you have a different wrench I can't find one and they're like you just push the button on the back I almost went off on that guy <gasps> because I was like do you understand who you are talking to like an angle grinder is literally my right arm. Like I know how to change a blade on an angle grinder. <laughs> yeah. Uh, again, I had to bite my tongue severely and just basically turn around and walk away. <laughs> yeah. uh, those kind of things don't sit well with me. No. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> I would probably be very angry too. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, oh, yeah, they're they're out there. Nobody's <laughs> perfect. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um, do you have you seen like I feel like there's more and more women getting into both carving and turning. Like I feel like that's really where like there's kind of a boom going on as far as that. Have you? seen similar I have and you know I teach quite a few women's wood turning classes and they they're running and which is really amazing and if you look at our wood turning club and the membership list when I first started I could go to a wood turning meeting and there might be one or two other women in the meeting yeah. now I go to a wood turning meeting and there are we all the board itself has about I think we have five women who are board members mm. Whereas when I first started, I think maybe I was at one point I was the, well, no, there were two women on the board when I first started that included me. So now we've shifted to having five people on the board. So you're seeing this shift towards more female, females joining these clubs. And we're looking at the list. And I said, I told the director of membership, I said, if you get a woman who signs up to be part of our wood turning club, please forward that email to me because I'm the women in turning liaison for our club. So I'm trying to keep track of all these women so that I can get them to events that we're putting on that are female oriented. And I'm seeing a lot of women joining our club. And so I'm seeing this shift and I think it's amazing and awesome. And I think they appreciate that there's now this women in turning group that offers support for women in the club because they realize there still aren't a lot of us in the club, but that number's growing. 
And if you create that supportive environment, they'll continue coming, right? And then maybe they'll tell their friends and their friends will come and get interested. So yeah, I do see a big boom of women getting into wood turning and even carving. So mm -hmm. I think that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I just like looked down at the time. Before. <laughs> <laughs> um, it went fast. I know. And I didn't get interrupted by a child or a or cat. A Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but before letting you go I want to give you a chance to let people know like how to find you and see your work and you can find me on Instagram I am Icosa I-C-O-S-A underscore woodworks I also have a website it's called Icosa wood dot work my husband came up with that name because he thought it was cute <laughs> and those are the two best ways to reach out to me. Awesome. Awesome. Anything like super exciting you're working on? Right I am working on a, my dad's retiring after 52 years of teaching and I'm working wow. on a, yep, I'm working on a commission piece for him. I won't say too much about it, but I'm really excited about it. And he's kept pestering me about making this particular thing. He's like, when are you going to make, make it? And I have to play dumb. I'm like, I don't know. Because he doesn't right. know his way. So I'm currently working on his retirement gift because his department commissioned me to make it. So I'm like, okay. And so it's got a special sentiment. I'm excited about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thanks so much for chatting yeah. today, Elizabeth. I feel like we could have kept going. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, we could have. <laughs> <laughs> well if you ever come out to seattle let me know and maybe we can we can get some dinner or hang out yeah absolutely all right again that was elizabeth weber and i will include the links on how you can follow along with her and see all of her pieces she is working on in the show notes for today's episode best place to find that is in the description for the episode on your podcast app now if you enjoy the podcast i have a request of you that takes only 30 seconds. And that is whether it's on Spotify or iTunes or whatever podcast app you catch the pod, please make sure to hit that follow button generally up the right hand side of the page um, and hit the notifications that helps you. That helps me. Everybody is happy. They get to know when new episodes come out. And again, it takes you less seconds. And while you're at it, if you want, feel free to also leave a five-star review. If you want to go further, if you want to spend, instead of 30 seconds, you want to spend a minute to help the podcast out, head on over to patreon.com forward slash crafting a revolution. And you can check out all the tier options there. Patreon, get a shout out at the start of every episode and know that you are supporting supporting uh, the podcast truly with every dollar that you give. So all of that to say, thank you always for continuing to tune in and listen to the podcast. And until next week, I hope you get a chance to go out and be your creative selves and uh, help to craft a revolution. See you next week. She, her, fan, they got something they want to say. Solution for the toxic masculinity is for